everybody, welcome back to the Green Light Podcast. Green Light season four? Four! New season, season four. Some would say the season four is the best season for a lot of shows. True. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's going to be the best season for us, but I will promise you we will do our best. I promise the best <laughs> season of this show is going to be whatever season we're currently on. That's a fair point, Lauren, and I appreciate your uh, your honesty with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, welcome us back. Uh, <laughs> we've been gone for a couple weeks with a yeah. with a nice little break. Not totally gone though, because we did do some stuff on our Patreon. We did do some stuff on our Patreon. So if you are not members of our Patreon, you should be. Yeah, what are you doing? What's the deal? What's the holdup? Yeah. We need you. But yeah, we, we posted two you. episodes in the past two weeks uh, that are available at all levels on our Patreon, even from one dollar, euro, pound, or your preferred currency. Your preferred currency, yes. Um, um, about Space Jam and also the Girl Boss double feature, Cruella and Black Widow. Yes, that's true. And because it's getting to the end of the month, we will also be releasing a Green Lit episode very soon. Yeah. Uh, not totally sure on what we're going to watch on that, but we'll keep y'all updated. Yeah. It's either going to be the Wild Thornberries movie or the Blues Brothers. Yes. Up in the air as to which one it'll be so far. but Honestly, will... I think we'll end up, whichever one we don't do this month, we'll end up doing the other one soon. <laughs> yes, correct. So uh, this month, one of those movies. Next month, one of those movies yes. is our schedule. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, if you, I guess we should tell the people what we do in case we have some new oh, listeners. True. true. Well, on this show, uh, three weeks out of the month, we talk about old movies and new movies and basically... To give you some trivia, talk about the people involved, and ultimately say whether or not we would green light them ourselves. Yes. Uh, the other, the fourth week out of that, uh, we take a uh, new script, whether it be a play or a screenplay, and we read it on the show and interview the writer. Yeah. Uh, we actually just uh, sent out a call for new scripts. So if you have any, four. if you're listening to this and you have any you want to send over to us, uh, do it. please do it because we, we'd love to read some more. Yeah, I'll probably make an Instagram post too. Yeah, saying, true. Like, Maybe Instagram, Facebook, stiff. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and we also are always looking for actors to do some yeah, that's uh, true. kind of voiceover work. Yeah. It's pretty light, shows. pretty easy, but uh, we would really appreciate your help. Yeah. Thank you. Anyway, so you can email us at tglsubmitted.gmail.com. Yes. Uh, all those links will be in the description, as well as the link to our social accounts. Yes. At tgl underscore pod on Instagram or Twitter, at greenlightpod on Facebook. You love us, please. Yeah, finally, one like more us. thing before we get started that you should do if you haven't yet is true, true. give us an Apple Podcast review. True. Uh, have you looked to see if we've gotten any new reviews? Longer? I have not. Okay, well, I'm going to do that now. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and keep talking. Uh, so basically what that does is it really helps us increase our visibility of the show, right? Because yep. ultimately yep. what we want to do is get enough five-star reviews. And yeah, please, if you don't think this is a five-star show, then never mind, hold back your review. But um. Yeah, please give us five stars. Um, it will eventually, hopefully, bump us up onto the charts. Yeah. Uh, film and TV is a very competitive category. Yes, it is. Um, so we would love to eventually get to a point where we are 150th or higher in the country so that we True. actually show up on the chart. True. Um, and then many, many more people will find our show. Yep. Yay. Uh, we do not have any new reviews, so Sad. how dare you all. Uh, but yeah, we, we'd love if you would give us that. We would greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, a, a nice free way to uh, help us out. Exactly. So, exactly. shall we dive into our movies? As long as it's not diving into the water at the beach that makes True. you old. So, in case you didn't <laughs> see our title, uh, we have one old movie Quote unquote. and one new movie. When in fact, we actually have two new movies. So, we're but giving you a lot of up-to-date old. content. Correct. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, so those are the, we, we're going to be talking about Old, the new M. Night Shyamalan film, and we're also going to be talking about Snake Eyes, the new uh, G.I. Joe spinoff film starring Henry Golding. Yeah, funnily enough, um, I might actually post the picture, but um, there is, I think it's on Highland and Franklin, I want to say. Um, but I pass it on the way to work all the time. It's these two billboards, one for old, one for Snake Eyes, right nice. next to each other. Nice. The duality of man right exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Um, Here, Here's what I'll propose. I propose that I go first since I'm the only one who saw that and we save old for the end where we can both discuss it. Okay, that's fair. But I will say, even though old is going second... For every five seconds you listen to the show, you lose one year of your life starting now. Whoa. Every five seconds, Lauren? <laughs> well, we have to make it to scale. Like, it's a whole day. <clears throat> I don't... I guess. Yeah. But that seems like a lot. I don't know lot. if that's scale. I didn't do the math. I don't think that's scale. But that's fine. We'll, we'll go seconds. into it. D- are you fine with that order, however? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So, thank you for listening and taking off years of your life. But before we start talking about old, and you might be confused at what we're talking about if you don't know much about old, we're going to talk about Snake Eyes a little Snake bit. Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is a 2021 film the plot of this here snake eyes movie it's it's pretty straightforward uh it's a gi joe spinoff centered around the character of snake eyes i'm going to talk a lot about the character of snake eyes where he started sort of his origin stories later uh but snake eyes is a member of uh the gi joes who are a special forces team uh I'll talk about all their origins and stuff as well, but essentially they're a sort of worldwide global anti-terrorist group, <laughs> if you will. Uh, they have many members, um, started out as a toy line, have had many uh, movies, comics, TV shows, etc. since then. Um, but uh, this is a spinoff. There were two movies in 2009 and 2013, uh, and this sort of... Um, this doesn't really, I don't think, continue that story, obviously, because that had an older Snake Eyes in it. Uh, so it's sort of a... Uh, a retelling of Snake Eyes' origin story and sort of a, a new jump-off point for the G.I. Joe series. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it uh, with what we got here. I guess a little bit of... Mm, I'll save more of the plot for later. Okay. This movie's directed by Robert Schwinky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Schwinky actually has kind of a, a solid resume, I'm not okay. going to lie. Um, he has directed, uh, he directed the pilot of Lie to Me. If you don't know the show Lie to Me, it's a oh. great TV show. Yeah. Yeah. My parents love that show. It's a great show. I never watched it. Uh, but. also directed, uh, some pretty big action movies like R.I.P.D. and Red. Uh, he also directed Insurgent and Allegiant, which were the final two mm-hmm. movies in the Divergent series. Except that Allegiant was not the end of the story. They just never made Allegiant part two. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Uh, because it did not do well. And yes. uh, we watched those those movies recently and we understand why yeah <laughs> uh, he also directed the time traveler's wife uh but i which think did pretty well yeah which that that one was pretty good and a little bit different from the other movies he's directed uh, i think it sort of goes to show you know he's done a lot of these big sort of i don't want to say uh mediocre i would say kind of paint by numbers like action films sure. you know what i'm saying like you know you know what you're getting with a robert schwanky film i guess <laughs> or at least with those films specifically uh, big budget action movies is what they are and that that's not a, a thing to sniff at you know sure so so good for robert uh this movie is written by aaron i'm gonna mispronounce this spilla spillatopolis actually i might have gotten that right joe shrapnel and anna waterhouse so let's talk about evan first because he shrapnel did the story and, and part of the screenplay yes hmm. uh two shoes sh- 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 um so evan spillatopolis 
Um, he actually, interestingly enough, was a writer on a lot of Disney sequels. Um, he wrote uh, Lion King 3, Jungle Book 2, Tarzan 2, Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time. Oh, I love that movie. Well, he was a writer. It's better than and Cinderella 2. Is it? Yes. How does it hold up to the first one? Um, well, personally, like the first one is classic. They're, they're very different movies. Sure. Cinderella I imagine one so. and three. I imagine. Three, I think is more fun. One is more like heartwarming. Sure. And we have to respect them for it. Uh, and the little mermaid Ariel's beginning. Oh yeah. Uh, as far as movies kind of like snake eyes, or at least in the action genre. Uh, well, I guess back to Disney. He also wrote the live action beauty and the beast adaptation. Uh, okay. And some movies like this, uh, he wrote the 2014 live-action Hercules movie, as well as The Huntsman Winter's War. Oh, who was it? One of the people I'm talking about this week was in the 2014 live-action Hercules movie. Oh, wow. Well. I don't remember who, though. I didn't write it down TBD. on here. Um, the other two writers, Joe Shrapnel and Anna Waterhouse, uh, from my understanding, are writing partners, because essentially their credits are the same. Uh, they've done a lot of drama stuff. Uh, not a ton that I've heard of, necessarily. Uh, some of them including Frankie and Alice, Race, and The Aftermath. But they're definitely a, a writing team, because pretty much all their credits are the exact same. Sure. So, cool for them. Uh, this movie is starring, uh, Henry Golding as Snake Eyes, Andrew Koji as Tommy slash Storm Shadow, Haruka Abe Abe as Akiko, uh, Takehiro Hira as Kenta, Iko Uwais as Hardmaster, Peter Mensa as Blindmaster, and Ursula Corbero as Baroness. I'm gonna talk about the first four, just so we're not here talking about, uh, people who, uh, actors the whole time. Uh, so, obviously, our big, our big, uh, golden goose, our, uh, our cash cow, uh, Henry Golding. Uh, a, a beautiful, attractive man playing Snake Eyes, the titular character. Actually, only has 11 acting credits, which is interesting. But, really? Uh, yeah, obviously. I, like I, I know that name. You do know that name. Okay. He, he um... He got his big break in Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. That was sort okay. of his his breakout role. And was since he, then was he the main guy? Yes, he was. Okay. Yes. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I'm I'm putting the pieces together now. Yeah. <laughs> uh he also was in the uh, uh movie Last Christmas with Amelia Clark. And he also was uh you might remember him from The Gentleman. Uh the the Guy Ritchie movie that we uh, saw. Ah, yes. The wow, testosterone filled gentleman. Yeah. I try to forget every day. Yeah, exactly. Uh and now he is the titular Snake Eyes. Uh, his his big action movie break. Uh, yeah, the gentleman was a bit of an action movie, but yeah. not not in the same way that Snake Eyes is for sure. Uh and he has also been a presenter on BBC's The Travel Show hey. since twenty fourteen. Fun for him. All right, so Henry Golding, obviously, big up-and-coming star. You've probably heard of him or seen him. Uh, the next people we have in this movie are definitely less well-known, at least in uh, the uh, United States market, I will say. Uh, one thing that I like about this movie, and then I'll go ahead and spill, is this movie has a predominantly Asian cast, um, and I think it's just it's really cool to see such a heavily Asian cast and yeah. you know have them featured in a big-budget action movie like this. Uh, but we have sort of the uh, yin to... Uh, Snake Eyes' is Yang, Andrew Koji, as Tommy slash Storm Shadow. Um, he has a, locking, a lot of acting credits, but mainly for smaller roles. His big break was on the TV show Warrior, which is, I believe, a Netflix original, or at least is on Netflix, uh, where he plays a martial arts prodigy who immigrates to San Francisco and becomes a hatchet man for the most powerful tong in Chinatown hmm. in the 1800s. Uh, so, uh, the Warrior is 
a similar movie in the fact that it is very much uh, martial arts based. So uh, very makes a lot of sense for Andrew Koji to be in Snake Eyes because also very martial arts based. Uh, next, we have Haruka Abe as Akiko. Uh, she's Anglo-Japanese, kind of, uh, I guess not in the same way as Henry Golding, because Henry Golden, uh, is, uh, English-Malaysian, but, um, uh, she is, uh, British-Japanese, and, uh, a lot of her work seems to have been done in Britain, uh, but one, a cool credit, I thought, she is the new speaking voice of Noodle from the virtual band Gorillas, which I thought was fun. Have you heard of the Gorillas? The virtual band Gorillas? Gorillas with a Z? No. Really? They're pretty big. Okay. Um, I think Jacob likes them a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, they're pretty cool. They, brand. Yeah, they're they're uh they're they're interesting with just like the things that they that they do. Okay. Uh, finally, we have essentially our antagonist of the film, uh, Takehiro Hira as Kenta. Uh, his work has mostly been in Japan. Uh, fifty-one acting credits on IMDb, and I'd say this is probably the biggest um uh film, biggest like Western film that he's probably been in. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's jump into more sort of about. Uh, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about is sort of the background on G.I. Joe um, and Snake Eyes as a character. Um, one thing that I will go ahead and suggest to all of you um, is watching uh, the Netflix TV series, The Toys That Made Us, because they have a really good G.I. Joe episode. They do. I think I've seen that one. Yeah. Uh, me and my dad actually watched it when I was at home, uh, you know, whenever I was home, whatever. What was that? May, June? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool. It's really informative. Obviously, that's mostly about the toys themselves because it is called the toys that made us. Uh, but it's it's really cool about the history of the of the toys. I'm gonna talk a little bit about that here. But let's talk about GI Joe as a franchise. GI Joe. It is an American media franchise and a line of action toys owned and produced by Hasbro, who are competitors of Mattel. No, 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 no. Same company. It's Hasbro Mattel. Is it? Yeah. Well, it wasn't always that way. Um, <laughs> starting yeah, same as company. a yeah, starting as a toy line. Um, it is, since then it has produced a series. Uh, it has produced everything from a series of comics, four animated movies, three live action movies, including Snake Eyes, six animated TV series, eleven video games, and many different toy releases. It was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame in 2004 and the Pop Culture Hall of Fame in 2017. Heyo. So GI Joe, I would wager that most people let me put a percentage percentage to it i would i would wager that 90 percent of the people have heard of gi joe's do you think that's do you think that's good See, do you think like that's I high or low say, i want to say more than that but then i also have to remember that we do have <laughs> listeners who are not from the u.s so i have to wonder like that's fair I don't know what Not the exactly reach sure of G.I. Joe is sure. outside of the U.S. Sure, 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 sure. And I don't know if they've done a ton of stuff recently, like for the younger generation, mm-hmm. you know? Obviously, they had the movies, but, you know, still. And this movie. But, uh, so, uh, talking a little bit about the toys, uh, G.I. Joe's actually sort of led to and coined the term action figure. Uh, because the G.I. Joe was meant to be a boy's product that would rival Mattel's Barbie doll in popularity. There you go. Obviously, now the two giants have come together and They've formed a baby. But <laughs> And the Hot Wheels is in there, too. Hot Wheels is in there, too, yeah. Um, there's a lot of, actually, uh, Mattel, product, Mattel Hasbro products that are getting um, movies rec- that yeah. are coming out soon, including, uh, I'm not going to name all of them, I don't think, uh, but uh, Hot Wheels... There's going to be a Barbie movie, there's going to be an Uno movie, and there's also going to be a Barney movie. There's going to be an Uno movie? Starring Lil Yachty. What? Yes. 
<laughs> well, and I do know, I mean, one of my managers at American Girl is always talking about how we're like stealing people from Disney and Nickelodeon. So yeah. maybe they're making more American Girl movies. Maybe. Soon. Hopefully. I don't know. Fingers crossed for Lauren. I mean, well, so there have actually been lots of American Girl movies, but the only one with a theatrical release was Kit Kitteridge and American Girl starring Abigail Breslin. True. Anyway. A great film. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's pretty uh, good. Uh, sure. Uh, so G.I. Joe began in 1964 as a 12-inch military action figure. So for a lot of action figures, that's pretty large in size compared to compared to a lot yeah, of them. A 12 whole, inches? A whole foot tall. Yeah. Um, so these G.I. Joes at the beginning were very much like war heroes. <laughs> they represented like they, they had ones from the four branches of the military, excluding the Coast Guard, of course. Uh, actually, did they have Coast Guard? Maybe they did. Maybe I'm lying. Anyways. Um, Aren't there five branches? Well, that yes, yes. That's why I said excluding the Coast Guard. Okay, okay. But um, they might have had Coast Guard. I might be wrong about that. Someone fact check me and and let me know. But uh, so it was very much military heavy. However, as sort of the Vietnam War came and went, people weren't as pro military as as pro uh, you know patriotism America. So they sort of shifted their focus in the seventies from like war hero to action hero. Did a little more of just like adventuring and things like that. Um, however, towards the end of the decade, the Joes as a whole were sort of losing stream. So one of the things they decided to do was change their toy from a 12-inch figure to a three and a half inch figure, uh, partially to save on production cost, uh, but also partially because uh, the Star Wars line had recently come out, uh, coinciding mm, with the movies yeah. that had very much success with these like three and a half inch uh, action figures. So GI Joe sort of wanted to capitalize on that. Um, but another thing that GI Joe was sort of missing that that toys especially like Star Wars had was sort of something else to back it up. Star Wars obviously had a movie, and so people were very interested because of the movie, but G.I. Joe at this point were just a line of toys. So what they decided to do at that point is to start a comic book. And one of the interesting things is about this, and it's kind of a clever marketing thing that they did, is at the time, toy um, toy marketing was very specific. You had to, there was only a certain amount of time you could actually like show the toys. There had to be like kids actually playing with the toys. But uh, comic book marketing on like TV and stuff like that was actually not really regulated at all because there just wasn't really much of it at all at the time. Huh. So what G.I. Joe did was heavily market their comic books because they could sort of be more free to do whatever they wanted with it, which drove more people to the toys. So in 1982, they relaunched with a line of 3.75-inch toys with nine action figures uh, with like the sort of the main cast, with Snake Eyes included, and an additional four figures with seven vehicles uh, were also included. So the sales projections were around 12 to $15 million. However, in their first year, they wound up selling $50 million worth of product, uh, tripling their uh, expectations, and sort of the rest is history. Um, you know, it was very successful after that. Uh, and then, you know, have launched multiple different toy lines, obviously all the other things I talked about, and G.I. Joe's God Down Pop Culture History. Uh, let's really quickly, before I talk about sort of the origin of Snake Eyes, um, and sort of then go into my thoughts after that, uh, talk about just the success of the previous G.I. Joe movies. Uh, so obviously the first one came out in 2009, starring Channing Tatum. Uh, this one cost $175 million to make and grossed $302 million worldwide. So while it, it exceeded its budget, obviously, it, it turned a profit... I don't think that includes marketing costs, which, you know, probably put it as closer to breaking even. So, eh, it was fine. 
Uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation, starring The Rock, cost $130 million to make and made $375 million. So a little bit of, of a better spread there, but still not... Not crazy. It's not an Avengers where it costs $200 million to make and makes a billion dollars. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, they were fine. They were fine. But, now we have Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes being one of the original um, and most popular members of the G.I. Joe team that we sort of know of today. The G.I. Joe Real American Heroes. Uh, He's the team's original commando. And... (laughs) Much of the history and information about his personal life and military service, including his birth name, place of birth, and service number, has stayed classified throughout all depictions. Sort of one of the main things about the Snake Eyes character is that he's mysterious. Not much is known about him. You rarely ever see his face. Uh, He doesn't speak, and he doesn't really speak because, in fact, during one of the first G.I. Joe missions, his face was severely disfigured in a helicopter explosion. He had plastic surgery to repair his face. However, his vocal cords uh, were could not be repaired. So he does he not speak in this movie? He speaks uh, a lot in this movie. Like okay. <laughs> he speaks quite a lot in this movie. Uh, one one thing that I like about um, about this uh, the character as a toy is that um, he actually was designed to save Hasbro money because in the pay- they didn't have to put a voice box in him. Well, not only that, <laughs> but I don't even think they had voice boxes. In the like the three and a seven, oh, okay. the 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 tiny figures, but um, it was he was made of black plastic, so they didn't didn't need to apply any paint, and they also didn't his head did not require any detail because of his mask, so he was just super cheap to make. But he became one of the most popular and recognizable GI Joe characters. Okay, um, and Joe creator Larry uh, Harma called him the most successful character he ever created, uh, be- believing because of his mysterious appearance and persona means that he could become a universal blank slate for a projection of fantasy for anybody. So, as we go into my thoughts, I want to point out that Snake Eyes in this movie, you see his face the whole time, (laughs) and he talks quite a lot. And I'll I'll talk about that more later. Okay. Overall, this is a solid movie. It's fun. It's it's a generic action movie. Um, The critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is 39%. Audience score is 74%, which I think sort of makes sense for this movie. It's not a movie critics are going to love. It doesn't blow you away with its plot devices or or camera work. It it is an action movie, but I think it delivers sort of on on what you would hope from an action movie, separate from the G.I. Joe universe. Um, like I said, uh, I think it's really cool that this film has a mostly Asian cast, and it's really yeah. cool to highlight some actors that a lot of Western audiences don't get to see. So wait, wait. So I know you said like his kind of whole background was mysterious. Is yes. he like canonically Asian? We're gonna talk about that, Lauren. Okay. Um, I uh, before we do, I think Henry Golding is great. Um, I think uh, you know, he's he's an up and coming star. I really like him. He's super charming, and he does well in this movie. So. A fun thing, well, not a fun thing, an interesting thing is that Snake Eyes is actually not originally Asian. He's actually originally white. Um, and, you know, the G.I. Joe creator sort of signed off on this version of the movie. I don't think it necessarily changes, um, you know, I, I don't think that was a, a change that would necessarily make people mad. Maybe some purists. Well, you know. You see how people are when they're just like, ooh, Captain Marvel has a flat butt. Yeah, like, yeah, that's so fair. So they'll get mad at anything. That's very fair. Uh, one of the things, though, that I think did kind of make some G.I. Joe fans mad, including uh, our dear friend Nick, 
uh, uh, um, uh, constant contributor to this show, um, who read the comic books a lot as a kid, so he okay. has he has a lot of knowledge on GI Joe, is that this movie portrays Snake Eyes in a way where he's not really that mysterious. Sure, we sort of see uh, a bit of his origin. Um, spoiler: This happens in like the first ten minutes of the movie. His father is killed. Um, and sort of his, his life goal is to find the people who killed his father. Um, and that, that's kind of part of the plot of this movie. Um, he ends up, uh, in, in like the mix of the Yakuza, the, you know, big, um, mob group in Japan. He's then taken under his wing, taken under Tommy's wing after he saves his life from the Yakuza. Uh, and then he sort of trains with Tommy to become part of his clan, um, kind of hiding the fact that he still wants to get vengeance on his father, and it's, uh, I'm not going to spoil anything else, but, you know, that's sort of the, the plot of the movie. Okay. Um, but we get a lot of who Snake Eyes is as a person. He's kind of mysterious, but still, he talks a lot, we see him a lot, and that that's very different from the Snake Eyes in the comics in the whole G.I. Joe canon. Right. Now, I would argue that if it, as an origin story and as a possible jumping off point for the G.I. Joe universe, extended universe in the future, maybe, it would be very hard to have the character of Snake Eyes and have him as that mysterious, not-talking figure. You know? Because it, it doesn't give audiences a whole lot to latch onto, especially people who aren't fans of the G.I. Joe series. I would almost say this movie is made for people who don't know a whole lot about the G.I. Joe series, mm. because I think I enjoyed it more than Nick. <laughs> you know? So I, I think it, it rides an interesting line of, like, you know, are you appealing to fans or are you appealing to the casual audience? And, you know, obviously if you have Henry Golding, you want to show off that face, so right. you're not going to put him under a mask the whole time, you know? And he doesn't even don the mask or suit until the very end of the movie. Literally, wow. it's like the final shot of the movie. Well, so I wonder then if, like, for example, if he were to lose his voice, if that whole, like, accident that happens that causes him to lose his voice would actually happen in a later movie once they Possibly. incorporate some of the other G.I. Yeah. Joes. Because and, he, like, he's not the one carrying the movie. He, he, in this movie, this is very much origin, he, there's one other member of the G.I. Joes that they showed, and she comes in towards the end, and he he's recruited by her at, like, the very end of the movie. Okay. So most of this is not about the G.I. Joes as a whole. Okay. We so get a yeah, little bit I about mean, them. So part of me wonders if like, you know, if they did try to make it more of like an Avenger situation where they yeah. brought in more of them. Yeah. And like, then I wonder if, you know, some of those more mysterious qualities. Yeah. Maybe they could incorporate more of those once there are more of them. I, I hear that. But once you have this movie, it's not like you can like go back. Like we all know sort of how he got to where he was, et cetera, et cetera. You well, know? yeah, I not, not about that. I more mean mysterious in terms of Just like, of like oh, he doesn't really you know, talk anymore. Yeah. It's like if something happens to him, if something traumatic happens to him or something sure. and that sort of makes him close off. Yeah. Like, Potentially. I think that's something that could possibly happen. Yeah. You know, knowing, like, literally all I know about G.I. Joe is what you just told me. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, overall, though, I think this is a solid movie. Henry Golding's great. Uh, I, I'm going to start supporting everything he does. Um, and uh, I wouldn't rush out to see this in theaters. Uh, if you're a G.I. Joe fan, maybe, but you also might be mad. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a fun one to watch, like, with a group of people. Um, you know, it's, it's PG-13, so you could feasibly watch this with, like, older kids. Um, you know, like, like teenagers. Um, so yeah, that's G.I. Joe Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes, a G.I. Joe origin story. Now, All right. for the fun part, two truths and a lie. 
Two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. Okay. Can I continue my streak? I feel like you have an advantage because I didn't see this one. Yeah. But we'll see. Hmm. Truth number one. Ah. Well. (laughs) Oh. Snake Eyes has changed from a Caucasian character seen from the comics animated series of both of the line action films to a mixed race character due to Henry Golding, who's both English and Malaysian. Well, so that one's true. I wonder if that one's true. (laughs) Uh, Truth number two. Uh, Zack Ryder, the WWE wrestler and former member of Hype Bros, made a cameo appearance in the cage fight versus Snake Eyes. You know, I would 100% believe that this was in part a WWE produced film. Did they actually? Because I feel like they have a- Did they say? I feel like they have the G.I. Joe franchise, don't they? I don't know. They might. That's a good point because I, I, they might have had a WWE production thing. I don't know. Fact anyway. number three. Lorenzo Di Bonaventura, a producer for both the G.I. Joe movies and the Transformer films, says that a crossover between the properties is inevitable. I don't think you'd lie about that, so I'm going to go with the Zack Ryder one. You're right. It was okay. act, but <laughs> it was a WWE wrestler. It was actually Mojo Raleigh. Oh, the other the hype, other hype bro. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Dang it! I I should have saved the, the the Transformers thing. I think was far fetched enough that I was like, "That's true." It is true. Apparently, they did a lot of crossovers in the comics. So hmm. I'm excited. I'll that watch could be it. Interesting. I'll see. Yeah. It. I'll see. It. Let's go. All right. All right. Well, That's now Snake that you've eyes. all aged about forty years, yeah, as you're at least, yeah. <laughs> um, let's get to old. Let's get to old. The beach that makes you old. Let's take a trip. Let's take a trip. <laughs> uh, so old is a 2021 film. Just came out. Uh, written and directed by M Night Shyamalan, based on the graphic novel by Pierre Oscar Levy. Oh, I didn't know this and was Frederick based on Peters. A yeah, it's based on novel. a graphic novel by uh, called Sandcastle. And I did mm. look into it and see like what the differences were, and um, it actually like, you know, the basic plot and everything is really similar. I yeah. think the big difference is that in the graphic novel, they like barely hint at, but definitely don't explain the why. Oh, behind sure. all of it sure 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 um yeah. and i will get into that a little bit later but i will give a spoiler warning because that is kind of like the twist yeah yeah you yeah, know yeah. m night Shyamalan movies always have a twist always have a twist always have a twist okay and in my notebook i wrote read imdb summary but i left my phone on the bed can i borrow yours yeah sure Let okay me pull up the old imdb for uh you. but anyway while he's doing that this has a 50 percent critic score on rotten tomatoes and a 52 percent audience score so <laughs> well, actually a better critic score than snake eyes they uh, they agree they agree huh? and they are uh, six to ten six out of ten sorry on imdb okay here's the plot written by anonymous uh-uh. um actually i'll do the universal pictures one okay. this summer Visionary filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan unveils a chilling, mysterious new thriller about a family on a tropical holiday who discover that the secluded beach where they are relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a little bit of an exaggeration because it's really like 48 years in a day. They end up doing the math and it's like 30 minutes per year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for some of the people still, on the, the island, people, yeah, that I mean, is a that the, is a if lifetime. If you were already like fifty, then yeah, yeah, entire life. Um, okay, so this is an M Night Shyamalan movie. You've probably heard his name. Some of the things you probably know him for are The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is like a pretty prominent writer director. Um, he's originally from India, grew up in Philadelphia, and most of his films are either set and or shot there. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, uh, at this point, he kind of funds his own stuff, so he can pretty much do whatever he wants. Um, he also did Split and Glass, and then most mm-hmm. recently, outside of this, he did the Apple TV show Servant, uh, which I've talked about on the show before. I watched oh. I almost all of season one. Um, yeah. Uh, which, you know, I mean, similar to what I said before, like, I did think it was interesting. I thought it was, you know, a little, like, melodramatic. Is in that the same also way that this is. very twisty? It's pretty twisty. Is it twisty? Okay. Yeah, it's pretty twisty. Gotcha. The other thing, too, is that because it's Apple TV, they heavily feature Apple products. Yeah, sure. They're like, look at the FaceTime picture on this iPad. Wow. Yeah. Another thing that he... Oh, wait. That's... I guess he produced... Um, I think he also directed uh, the last Airbender movie. He did. The really bad yeah, one. He yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I think The Happening is a big one. Yeah. That he did too. Oh, and actually, here, I was going to use this as two truths and a lie, but then I didn't. Um, Fun fact, this is the first film since The Last Airbender that he did to be shot on 35 millimeters. Uh, everything <laughs> wow. else was shot digitally. <laughs> record record breaking. Yeah. Groundbreaking M9. <laughs> um, yeah. He also, fun fact, wrote the Stuart Little screenplay. Yes, he did. Um, so in general, something that um, I did want to bring up about M. Night <laughs> a Shyamalan. Twist. Stuart Little's not a boy. He's a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so something I did want to bring up about M. Night Shyamalan that is an issue in this movie and in many of his other movies is that he is criticized often for at best misrepresenting at worst demonizing mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like that was one of the main criticisms that I had specifically for Split and Glass because, you know, they're, I mean, in the same universe. Same universe. Um, just because like the main character has um, dissociative identity disorder or DID, um, mm-hmm. also formerly known as multiple personality disorder. Um, and you know, it's like, that is a condition that is often demonized Yes, because I mean, you know, I'm sure it's scary for the people who have it and it's scary to a lot of people who don't have it. And like, I just don't necessarily think it's helpful to portray that person as a villainous murderer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was a little bit of an issue in this movie because there was a character who was a violent paranoid schizophrenic. Um, anyway, M. Night Shyamalan. Um, M. Yeah, uh, so most of my time with this is actually going to be spent talking about my thoughts on it. So I'm going to kind of just go through the people with this. Uh, So another executive producer on this was Steven Schneider, because obviously M. Night Shyamalan was a big producer on this. Yes. Um, So he's a big horror producer. Um, His very first producing credit was uh, called Curiosity with a K. It was animated. Um, It's about a female super soldier. But the most notable thing about it, I think is that it is seven hours and 41 minutes. Huh. And it doesn't look like it's a series. Huh. So I'm not really sure what it is. Too long. <laughs> um, also, the main character like looks like a Fortnite skin. Oh. It was from 2007, though. Kind of good. Anyway, um, Steven Schneider, his second producing credit ever was the first Paranormal Activity. Uh, He's since produced other Paranormal Activity movies. Um, movies in the House's October Built franchise, hmm. Insidious franchise. Oh, he wow. produced Split and Glass. Uh, Pet Cemetery, stuff like that. Big Lots of big horror movies. Big horror dude. Big horror guy. He yeah. loves scary. Exactly. Lots of scary. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this is a little bit of a bottle episode of a movie, if <laughs> yeah, you sure, will. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, there's the the resort, which has a lot of extra stuff like that. But for the most part, this takes place on the beach that makes you old, which makes sense yes. because this is a COVID era film. So like yes. everyone on set was getting tested constantly, I'm sure. Um so let's talk about a little bit of the cast. I am not going to pronounce this guy's name right, um, but Gael Garcia Bernal, who is Guy. 
Mm-hmm. His name is Guy, which I always think is the funniest name. Just naming a guy, Guy. Yeah, it's pretty on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, so this actor is Mexican-American. He got his start on a Mexican soap opera when he was 14. Uh, El Abuelo y Yo, or The Grandfather and I. Um, And he was on like... A ton of episodes of that. Just a lot of episodes. So proper have lots yeah, of episodes. He was, a, he was a big old character on that. Um, he was in a pretty famous movie called Itu Mama Tambien. Itu Mama Tambien. Uh, and Very Your Mom movie. Too. Yes. <laughs> um, he played Julio Zapata. That's like shoe. Um, interesting thing. He was in a movie called The King where he played Elvis. But from what I could tell based on the synopsis, it's not that Elvis. Just a different, a different guy Elvis. named Elvis. Who also, was referred to as the king. Also referred to as the king, huh? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, um, he was in Letters to Juliet, which I've mentioned because we've talked about Amanda Seyfried on this show before. Yes. Uh, he was in Rosewater. Um, actually, the only thing I know him from that I've seen is, uh, except I didn't see his face, he was Hector in Coco. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. Um, you know, one of the main characters in Coco, Yeah. Um, which is an incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, you should have. Um, and then he was in the, uh, I believe, Amazon Prime series, Mozart in the Jungle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Vicky uh, Creeps, K-R-I-E-P-S. Uh, she was Prisca, so she was the main woman in this. Um, she, I believe, is German. Um, that would scan. Yeah, uh, so she was in 10 episodes of Das Boot. Um, she was in The Girl in the Spider's Web, which is... Um, okay, so if you're not familiar with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series, the books are incredible, um, however, the original author of the first three books actually only wrote the first three. There are there are more. I think there are like six books total. Hmm. But he, um, I want to say it was like after he submitted the manuscript for the first three, yeah. he died. Either oh, that wow. or he died and someone found those manuscripts. I'm not really sure which. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so there are more books that he did not write. So this film um, is doesn't seem really connected to the first uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies. Okay. Um, because, I mean, she played uh, Erica Berger, who's a really major character in those books, and she wasn't credited as that character in any of the other movies. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so she she was in that. Uh, one of her most notable roles was she was the lead in Phantom Thread with Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then she was in a movie called Colonia, which was uh, led by Emma Watson. Oh, in I've 2015. Never heard of it. Huh. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either. Um, it had like less than a hundred thousand reviews, I think, on IMDb. So I think okay. a lot of people probably haven't seen it. Sure. Um, Rufus Sewell. So he was, I believe, his name was Charles, the doctor. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and he was the person I was talking about who was a um schizophrenic. Yes. Person. Slight spoiler, but. Uh, yeah. Um. So most recently, he was in The Father as Paul, which is funny mm. because there are a lot of shots in this movie the where father. he looks like. Like Silence of the Lambs era Anthony Hopkins to yeah, me. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Um, just like a couple shots where it would be a close up, but only like half of his face, and I was like, that looks like Anthony Hopkins. Yes. Um, he was in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel as Declan Howell. He was in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer as Adam. Oh yeah. And he was third build in A Knight's Tale starring Heath Ledger as Count Adamar. I think that's how you pronounce that. Pretty good. Yeah. Because uh, there are a lot of people in this because people age and are played by different people. So yes. uh, Alex Wolf, he was Trent, so the the one of the children, um, but when he's age 15, so not the actor from the beginning of the age movie. Age 15 through like uh, 35. 30 probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Well, yeah, that's how they credited them on IMDb is like yeah, Trent age no, 15. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so he is most well-known probably for Hereditary. And? Jumanji. And? Pig. And? <laughs> what else? Naked Brothers Band. He's what is one that? Of- you never heard of the Naked Brothers Band? No. It was a. It was a. I guess they were an actual band, but it was a TV show on Nickelodeon back in the day. Oh. Yeah. Huh. He was one of the Naked Brothers. He and his brother, I'll Alex honest, and Nat Wolf. I really didn't watch very much Nickelodeon. I know growing you didn't. Up. I know you didn't. But that's I was no a excuse. Disney Channel kid. <laughs> My anyway. mom hated that show. <laughs> it's called the Naked Brothers Band. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he was in Hereditary. Um, as someone with a, a mole on my face, I recognize him anywhere. Um, <laughs> solidarity, brother. Yeah, solidarity. solidarity. Uh, yeah, he was in the new Jumanji movies. Yes, um, he was. And yeah, he's in Pig coming out this year as well. Starring Already Nicolas out. Nicholas Cage, I believe. Already out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Thomason McKenzie, who is Maddox at age 16, which is, you know, meh, 16 through 30. Probably 13 to 30-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, I mean, she's been in a a few things, but I think the thing that she is most recognizable for at this time is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, She was Elsa and Jojo Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Um, moving on, Abby Lee was Crystal. So she was the kind of like, she was Charles's wife. Yeah. So, um, she had a calcium deficiency. Um, but so, well, so basically (laughs) all the groups on this beach, like (laughs) this is a bit of a spoiler, but they do come to find out that at least one person in every group has some sort of like illness whether it's like a chronic illness or something that's more recently come up that Mm -hmm. is like kind of incurable yeah um so she wasn't necessarily the sick person in their group um but she is calcium deficient that comes up later in a gross way Mm -hmm. um anyway she was in mad max fury road she Mm. was also in the neon demon um Mm. which i haven't seen but i've definitely heard of it um it's kind of like a horror movie about like beauty modeling stuff like that hmm, interesting anyway um it's starring uh l fanning gotcha uh nikki uh i can't read my own writing i think nikki, amuka bird um, amuka bird yes are you looking at the imdb yeah don't scroll too far i'm not gonna trivia. look at trivia <laughs> okay well um so she was a woman who had epilepsy um she was in a couple episodes of doctor who and torchwood she has like a lot of small tv credits but Mm. i think that the biggest thing that she's done is actually in theater she was a member of the royal shakespeare company oh cool she's british right yeah she's british i would assume yeah or i think she's um she's actually originally nigerian but grew up in britain sure gotcha um anyway uh ken lung who's jaren um the thing you would know him best for is Lost. He was like one of yeah. the big cast members in Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a small role in The Force Awakens. He had a small role in the original Saw movie. Um, and then he's had some episodes of The Blacklist uh, and Person of Interest and lots of other TV credits, stuff like that. Um, yeah, but the big thing you would know him for is Lost. And then the last person I want to just briefly talk about is Eliza Scanlon. Uh, she was Kara, so that was like a, a toddler at the beginning of the movie and then ended up becoming a teenager later. Mm-hmm. Um, she is best known at this point for Little Women. She was Beth in this new iteration uh, with Sarsha Ronan, Florence Pugh, all those people. Um, and she was also in Sar- Sharp Objects with Amy Adams. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Whew. Okay. That's a lot of people. So, um, yeah, let's talk about some of my thoughts for this movie because I have quite a few. So, first of all, I definitely went into this movie like – 
thinking it was going to be bad. I <laughs> see a lot of stuff on Twitter about how like this was bad on a legendary level. Like it's so bad that it's really fun. Yeah. You know, and that's something I would definitely agree with. Like this is not a good movie. It's not, but it was really entertaining. I think if I may interject that this movie takes a, a big swing and it's a big swing and it's also a big miss. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a big swing. It's a big miss. Um, yeah, I think that just like the premise of this film is so, so interesting. And I think I the agree. execution was I agree. Poor. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, you know, and it's funny cause you can almost see that right from the beginning because I mean, even just in the opening credits, like they have, you know, these giant letters in the background that are literally aging. It like starts in yeah. a modern font hey. and it turns into like times new Roman. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. <laughs> it was just like as soon as that happened, I was like, "Oh my god, here we go!" Here we you go. Know? Here we are. Um, however, somewhat surprisingly, maybe um, it's already made its money back because it was incredibly low budget. It was eighteen million dollars. Wow, that, that is whole low budget. budget. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, obviously, budget is relative. You know, eighteen million dollars is very, very high budget for many indie films, but you know, for, for, uh, for a, big a major studio, movie like this, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it made 16 and a half million just on its opening weekend. Um, this is actually the third M. Night Shyamalan movie in a row to top the box office. The last one's being Split and Glass. Nice. Um, yeah, however, I, yeah, this was a, a, a rough movie. Um, I actually think that the premise of this, um, which, like I said, based on a graphic novel, stay, sticks relatively close to that, um... I think this would have been a killer premise for like a comedy thriller or okay. even um, I was actually talking to Jacob about this on the way home from the movie. Not that I watch Rick and Morty, but I think this would have been a great Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Like just the kind of ridiculous sci-fi. I imagine just like the skin falling off of Rick, you know what yeah, I mean? And then he yeah. walks around as a skeleton or something. Yeah. I do think there is potential for this to be a good movie in oh, the genre that it was supposed to be. I agree. But I, agree. I, I hear what you're saying too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that this movie just like, it did take itself very seriously. And yeah, I do think there's room for that to have been the direction it went if the execution would have been a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so here's the big thing. And this is going to be a big old spoiler moment. So you might have to fast forward like maybe two, three minutes if you want to skip this. Um, so basically what we get out of this that we don't get out of the graphic novel Sandcastle is the why of why they're on this beach, why they were specifically sent to this beach by the people at the resort. Now, all these people were sought after, um, unknowingly, they like won a sweepstakes quote unquote to get to this resort, but it turns out they were actually sought out, um, because of their prescriptions because they are all like chronically ill or mm -hmm. even just have a new illness. Like, uh, uh, one of the characters has a tumor, yeah. right? Um, that is supposedly benign, but not really. Um, so it turns out they're all being sent to this old beach because that passage of time moving so quickly makes it really convenient for people to be able to test medicines, test how long mm -hmm. these medicines will prevent you from having, you know, a seizure or something like or, that. And like their long-term effects. Yeah, their long-term effects. Exactly. On human subjects. <laughs> On human subjects. And the thing is, we don't really get the why of that until the end. Yeah. And then there's not really any room for a moral, ethical question with that because then the experiment is shut down. They're turned over to the, like, FBI and, you know, that's kind of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that if the why 
of this story would have been introduced earlier if we would have seen more of that side of it, Mm -hmm. then I think there could have been a really interesting, like, ethical problem presented here of, like, is this on some level okay because it's helping millions and millions of people because they're finding cures for so many different things? Yeah. You know? I I think it's, like, I think that part of it was just so overshadowed by the rest of the film. Exactly. It was, like, they threw it into the end, like, oh, there was a reason for this. Yeah. Because I I do think that's a really interesting discussion point, and I think while the movie does bring it up, it doesn't bring it up in a way that allows the audience to focus on it. Exactly. Well, and then it's also, like, we see that, and then immediately it's, like, oh, it gets turned over to the cops, gets totally shut down, and that's kind of it. There's no, like, there's no moral should they or should they not have, which obviously they shouldn't have, you know, at least not this way without consent and all that. But, um, yeah, you know, it was just a really, I think they should have done more with that. And something that's interesting is that in the graphic novel, they actually don't really say the why at all. You know, mm. it's only really hinted at that maybe this is why they're being put on this beach. Sure. Um, we only see it from, like, the people on the beach's perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was something. That was another thing. Um, and then I guess another little spoiler. Um, there are one or two people who make it out of this. That's how they get turned over to the cops and everything. Yes. And I honestly wish they wouldn't have. Like... I honestly think that this film would have been stronger if they would have made the one simple choice to, like they did in the graphic novel, have them die on the beach. Because then the experiment wouldn't have been shut down. It would have continued. And, like, I think that we should have still seen that side of the story with, like, the the lab side of it. Yeah. But I think that it just takes out all of the questioning that the audience can do. It answers that question for them, you know, and I don't think we needed that. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Like, it would have been more tragic, obviously, but... Yeah, see, my thing is, I I don't even think that, like... I I get what you're saying when it's like, oh, you know, we see the cops come in, we see them, like, you know, arrest it, shut it down, whatever. I still think, for me, that leaves the question open, because I I just think that's, like, like, kind of like what you said, I think that's just what would happen. Like, that would get shut down, that that would happen in real life. for sure, for sure. So, I I didn't have a problem with that. I had a problem with it, how it was just... It felt shoehorned in. It was so in, of the movie. And yeah. not only did it feel shoehorned in at the end, but it didn't... We were dealing with a different moral issue, like, for the entire film up until that point. Right. I, I felt like the, the sort of moral question we were dealing with was, oh, or the sort of the idea is that you need to enjoy the moments that you have, whether yeah. it be with family, etc., while you have them, and to take in the little moments. It's, uh, that that sort of idea. Yeah. And then it just switches at the end. Yeah. And which is, once again, an interesting premise, but something that just didn't feel like it was executed well. Yeah, and I do think that the original graphic novel, like, while it was more ambiguous in terms of, like, why are they here? Like, why were they put here? Stuff like that. Like, I do think that that ambiguity did make it more single-minded, you know? Because that is definitely just more about, like, yeah, enjoy the moments that you have because, you know, you never know when they're going to be cut off. Yeah. Or sped up, I guess. Yeah. Um... Yeah, another thing is um, the dialogue in this was really rough. Yeah. Um, I mean, even right at the beginning, there's, like, an incredible amount of, like, heavy-handed foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, And they're, like, on the van ride to the hotel, and, you know, like, one of the kids is like, are we there yet? And the mom's like, enjoy the moments you have. Don't wish this moment away. <laughs> yeah. I, well, th- there's also one where their daughter is singing and she's like, oh, I can't wait to hear you singing when you're older. 
Yeah. And that, of course, happens later when she's older. Except she doesn't really sound better. Uh, yeah, but th- that's not the point. I know you had a problem with it, but that's not the point. I, um, Very Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games, Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> um, I don't know if you were going to mention this, so I don't want to step on toes. Were you going to talk about like the acting slash directing, whatever? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. So, you know, part of me is like, okay, maybe we should give some of the actors some grace because I know for many of them, English is their second language. Um, like there are a lot of, I mean, you know, like... The main guy is Mexican-American. The main woman is German-American. Like, there are lots and lots of people in this who English is not their first language. But a lot of the lines, A, were written poorly, and B, the actors also just didn't really make them feel natural and believable and grounded. And, and And for me, I wonder if that is a just an acting issue or if that is a director's choice. Yes, because part of me wonders if, like, Maybe they did better takes. Maybe they were directed to do it more this way. Maybe they were directed to make it more like on the nose, more heavy handed. More whatever. on the nose, or even just more like a little more stiff, a little more like unsettling. Yeah. But to to me, it didn't come off as this is a choice. It came off as this is a mistake. Yeah, yeah, you know? I would agree. I would agree. That's how yeah. it came off to me too. Another thing I want to talk about is that I actually thought that, and you know, granted, I am not like an aspiring director. There are lots and lots of things about directing film that I have no idea about, but. I thought that a lot of the shots were really repetitive in the sense that I think I saw that slow 360 pan where someone sees something and then we see what they're reacting to like 10 seconds later. I think we saw that about 10 times and I was kind of over it by the end. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I th- I think the the visual style was once again, it was a big swing and I don't think it was as big of a miss as yeah. maybe like you think it is like I I think I enjoyed some of the things and es- especially as a film with maybe a smaller budget once again eighteen million dollars relative small right. but uh, you know doing things with the camera to like sort of help um, guide the story along without having to show too much and to you know sort of keep the audience in suspense I didn't I didn't hate everything I I agree with I didn't you hate everything. that I think some of it was a bit gratuitous and and repetitive but. You know. Yeah. And, you know, there were, like, a couple of things about the characters aging that felt a little bit, like, kitschy, almost. Like, oh, with the main characters, one of them starts losing his vision, and then another one goes deaf in one ear. Yeah. Like, I don't know. And there are also definitely some inconsistencies in the rules of this world. Sure. So, for example, um, the reason that, like, their hair doesn't grow out is because, oh, well, that's dead tissue that doesn't age. Yeah. But then... You know, there's a dead body that washes up and it decomposes in like five hours. Yeah, and that's dead Which tissue. Which I guess is technically so dead tissue. So it's kind of like, ah. yeah, sure, sure, not a perfect movie. I will say, no. I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely not a perfect movie. <laughs> there was a 15 minute stretch where I was in. I'll say that, and I'll say another thing. I've been thinking about this movie a lot. So the, I have been thinking about this movie a lot. Depending on what you believe the merit if, is of a good movie. Potentially, that's part of it, is is staying power, how much you think about it, whether it be in a good or a bad way. Yeah. I but. will say we will probably watch this again when it goes to streaming for free and yes. we're drunk. Yes. <laughs> and we'll enjoy it a lot. I'm we sure. will. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it for a greenlit years in the future. Yeah. All right. Um, do you got anything else for us? Yeah. I'm trying to think if I... I'm trying to look if I had anything else. Um, the only other thing I want to talk about is that this movie has become a meme. Um, which I greatly enjoy. We've just seen lots of um, like 
we bought a zoo that makes you old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or um, the, what is it? The Anakin and Padme meme of like, we're going to the beach. Not the one that makes you old, right? Not the one that makes you uh, old, right? And they're both old. <laughs> yeah, so I'll probably post some of those memes on our Instagram because I think they're so fun. For sure. But M. Night Shyamalan did acknowledge them, so I think that kind of kills I it. I think he gets it. Well, <laughs> uh, anyway, as a producer... I would red light this movie. I'm sorry. Would you really? Well, so I think that, again, this movie does have the potential to be good. You know, and if there were adjustments made, yeah, I would I would think about greenlighting it. As it is, even though it has made its money back, I'd still red light it. <sighs> and as a person, I, get, I would also red light it. I get it. what I'm you're sorry, saying, especially bad. as a person. However, with how little it costs to make and how big of a name M. Night Shyamalan is... I think I would still greenlight it as a producer. Hmm. Just because I think making back $18 million with a movie like this would be so easy. And as we've seen, has been so easy. I but mean, yeah, that's true. I get true. what you're saying. If you have a little more artistic integrity than I do, maybe. <laughs> well, it's like, I I don't know if I would want to put my name on this as a producer. It's yeah. more of my thing. Sure. Um. Anyway, let's get to some two truths and a lie. Let's do on it. On that note. Let's do it. I'm excited. Okay. <clears throat> M. Night Shyamalan was actually intended to have a smaller role in this film. Oh, I should have said, M. Night Shyamalan was in this movie. He makes appearances in a lot of his movies. Um, so he was the van driver that took them to the beach and then was also the person working for the lab who was, like, watching them and, you know, yes. documenting them the whole yes. time. Anyway, um, M. Night Shyamalan was actually intended to have a smaller role in this film, just a cameo in the lab scene at the end. Uh, the... T- driver and scientist role was supposed to be played by john twohey okay but he ended up getting covid um found out the day before he was supposed to film his first scene everyone else got a rapid test test they were fine but they didn't have enough time to go through the actual testing regimen to bring in a new actor so m night Shyamalan said it's okay i'll just switch roles i do buy that but continue next thing uh this is the first time M. Night Shyamalan has shot a film entirely outside the Philadelphia area since his first film, Praying with Anger. Okay. Um, Near the end of the film in the lab, one of the names written on the wall is the cinematographer of this film, Mike Gulakis. I think it's the second one. That's a lie. Uh, The Philadelphia thing? Yeah. That's true. Dang. What's the lie? The first one? Yeah, the first one. Ah, uh, that was going back between that one and the and the second one. What is well, the Well, I what's literally the, What's the story? Well, what do you mean the story? What's what's like the truth of the first one? The whole Did thing just, was a lie. You just made it up. I made that up. Wow. Yeah. Well, Good no, I mean he was he was supposed to have that film. Uh John Twohey, I feel I figured to get you I would have to come up with a real person's name that you didn't yeah. know. Yeah. You uh, did so he did have a small role in the film. I don't oh, know okay. which one it was. I literally just scrolled through to the end of the cast well, list. Good for you, Lauren. Got him. That's pretty good. And you didn't get me. Uh, yep. Uh, Lauren wins this round. <laughs> However, I have many dubs under my belt so I can yeah. rest on my laurels a bit. And we're all 80 years older now, so Yes, we are. Who really won? Correct. <laughs> well, all right. That's it. That's, That's us. That. Yeah. Um, tell us what you think of these movies. Yep. Please uh, do. Comment on our Instagram posts or tell us in a five star iTunes review. We'd love That's all of those way. things. Yes, please. All right. Well, we love you guys and we we'll see you. you next week on the Green Light. Green Light. <laughs>